you, Bobby, for reading this morning. I, um, I'll share with you before we pray that uh, folks have uh, told me that as I get older, uh, things will change. And in June, I'm actually going to be turning 40, and I got an early Christmas present yesterday. I was working out in the yard, went to pick up a wheelbarrow, and I pulled my back. And so um, I do appreciate your prayers uh, this morning um, as, we, uh, as we gather together around God's Word. So let's pray, okay? Ask for God's help. God, we thank you and praise you that uh, in weakness, your strength and power are made perfect. And Father, we confess now that as we gather around your word, we come before you in weakness. And we pray, Father, that you would get glory as you make your strength evident through us. Lord, we are weak to preach and we are weak to hear. So help us. And Lord, as you help us, glorify yourself. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. When the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus begins his public ministry, the first words that come out of his mouth are the following. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the Gospel. And right there from Jesus' first words in the Gospel of Mark, we learn that repentance And understanding repentance is key to understanding the Christian faith and the Christian gospel. We could say that if you don't have an understanding, a concept of what repentance is, you will have a very difficult time making sense of the Christian faith. The word repent actually means to turn. And some people, as they've been trying to explain this concept of what repentance is, has used the illustration of a soldier. If you think about a soldier, and uh, they have a commanding officer speak to them the command about face, then that soldier, at that command, that individual will turn and face the opposite direction, right? 180 degrees. And so when we hear the call of the Lord to repent, when we hear the Lord say about face, essentially that's what's happening. We are headed in our own direction, and we hear the command, the call of God, And at the call of God to repent, we turn 180 degrees and we embrace the Lord in His direction and we follow Him. So repentance is turning from our sin and turning to God. Repentance is turning from death and destruction and turning to a path of life and joy. Repentance is actually the theme of Jonah chapter 3. And in Jonah chapter 3, what we see is that there are three examples of repentance and then three results that come from each act of repentance. This will be our focus this morning. So first of all, we see Jonah. He's the first example, and repentance leads to mission. The second example is Nineveh, and repentance leads to salvation. And the third example is God, and repentance leads to mercy. So Jonah, repentance leads to mission. Nineveh, repentance leads to salvation. And God, repentance leads to mercy. Now as we walk through each one of these this morning, I hope that we will see the blessing and the joy and the fruit that comes through repentance. And that we will be a people who are marked by repentance. Not a people who stubbornly insist on our own way, but a people who are eager to turn to God and to receive the joy and the blessing and the fruit that God offers us 
through the act of repentance. So first of all, let's consider Jonah. Repentance leads to mission. Look there in chapter 3 and we read verses 1 through 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. One of the things we should note here in these opening verses of chapter 3 is that the author is intending for us to see in these opening verses a new beginning. This actually marks a new beginning in the book of Jonah. So, if you look at chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and you compare them to chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, they are almost exactly the same. So look back at chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. We read, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And then if you look at chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, we read the following words. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Almost the exact same words. And then there's this addition, the second time. And then the next phrase is almost verbatim from chapter 1, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. So you see the author here is marking a new beginning after all that has happened. It's as though the story is starting over again. After all of Jonah's rebellion and resistance against God and God's will for his life, God is extending grace and mercy to Jonah by giving him a second chance. Jonah receives the same word, the same call, the same mission a second time. This is God's mercy and grace in Jonah's life. And notice Jonah's response. Jonah responds now in repentance in verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So we've seen already in the book of Jonah that God had called Jonah to go to Nineveh, but Jonah preferred Tarshish instead, right? Tarshish, which was in the exact opposite direction. As a result, Jonah ran from the Lord's will. He ran in the opposite direction. But now, having been stopped in his tracks, Jonah hears the call to Nineveh again. And now he turns from his petty dreams for Tarshish and embraces God's will for his life. You know, it seems as we look at the life of Jonah that prior to his call to Nineveh, Jonah was a rather content and successful prophet in Israel. He seems to have been very effective in the position and role that God had called him to. In 2 Kings chapter 14, actually, we encounter Jonah for the first time, and we're told that Jonah prophesied that the Lord would graciously expand the borders of Israel during the reign of Jeroboam II. And the Lord, in fact, did that. Jonah was in Israel, and he was doing his thing. He was a prophet of God, and he was on mission, speaking the words of God. But one of the things we see in the life of Jonah is that God's mission will regularly push us further and further and further outside of our private worlds and personal uh, comforts. So Jonah was content in Israel. Jonah fit in in Israel. Things seemed to be going well in Israel. But... The mission of God is never static. The mission of God is never static. The mission of God, it's always moving forward. It's always pushing us further and further out. You remember Jesus' commission to His church. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. The mission is always pushing us further, further and further outside of ourselves, further out into the unknown where we will have to step into dark and scary places, uncomfortable places where we are forced to rely entirely upon our faith in God. And listen, my friends, none of us will keep following. None of us will be ready and prepared for all that God has for us in His mission without repentance. Repentance changes us. Repentance equips us. Repentance empowers us to respond to the mission of God and to move forward with Him. This is what's happening in Jonah's life. God's calling him to repentance, and as he calls him to repentance, he then pushes him out into mission. God consistently deals with his servants this way. He offers them a second chance, and a third chance, and a fourth chance, and a fifth chance. And each time as they repent, he pushes them out further into mission. There's so many examples we could see of this in Scripture, but one in particular that stands out is the example of the Apostle Peter. Peter, who was chief of all the apostles, you know the account in the darkest hours of Jesus' life just before he was to go to the cross, Peter denied Jesus three times. And then as Jesus goes to the cross and he dies, as he dies there, he's laid in a tomb and then by the Spirit of God he is resurrected and an angel comes and appears to the disciples at the tomb and instructs or appears to the women, I'm sorry, and instructs the women to go and tell the disciples that he has been raised, that Jesus has been raised from the dead. It's interesting, though, in the message that the angel give to the women, they say, tell the disciples and Peter. And Peter. Now, why would they mention Peter specifically? Why would the angel mention Peter? Well, because... When the message came back to the disciples, we could imagine that Peter would have thought he had made such a colossal mistake. He had so failed his Lord that this message, surely, surely this message was not for him. Surely he was disqualified and would never have a chance to be a disciple, an apostle of Christ again. But the angel says, tell the disciples and Peter. And then we read in the gospel accounts that as Jesus makes his way to Peter, the resurrected Christ, and he seeks to restore Peter, that Jesus not only restores him, but Jesus gives him this commission three times. Peter, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. You see what Jesus is doing in the life of Peter? He's calling him to repentance. And as Peter repents, Christ restores him, and then he sends him out on mission. And consider this, consider Jonah. Jonah is a prophet, Peter is an apostle, but they never move beyond the need for repentance. Get that. We never move beyond the need for repentance. Crawford Loritz, who's one of my favorite African-American preachers, I remember he came to Columbia Bible College when I was in, uh, at Columbia Bible College in Columbia, South Carolina years ago, and uh, He was preaching a message there in the chapel service, and when he preached that message just that week, 
he had experienced a number of close friends in the ministry falling into sin. And as a result of them falling into significant sin, their families were at risk, their whole ministries were at risk, and he was burdened by this. He was preaching to us from a text in 1 John and preaching to us on the importance of repentance as his young Bible college students. He was admonishing us to develop a pattern and a habit of repentance in our lives because if you don't repent, and if you don't turn from your sin, if you don't keep looking to Christ in faith, and you just let sin fester, then the sin can get so big and so large that you'll find yourself one day not able to resist it. And I remember one line that he said in that sermon that is stuck in my mind and my heart over the years. Repentance, he says, is not just a one-time event. Repentance is our address. It's where we live. It's what we do. It's who we are. We are repenters. And my friends, you've got to get that, we've got to get that, or we will never be effective missionaries for Christ in your home or at your workplace or at school or in this city or among the nations. We will never be effective missionaries for Christ if we are not first repenters. God is always calling us to repent so that we might experience deeper communion with Him and be more effective in greater mission. Jonah repents by God's grace. And as he repents, he is sent out on mission. Now, secondly, notice the example of Nineveh. Nineveh repents, and their repentance leads to salvation. See this in verses 3 through 9. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published, and published it through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish." When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He said He would do to them, and He did not do it. Now here we have the record of Nineveh's repentance, and really this is astounding. Uh, this is a large, sprawling, pagan city that served as the capital of the greatest world power at the time, Assyria. And they hear God's message and they respond with a wholehearted, broken-hearted repentance. There is widespread repentance across the city. Now, as we examine the repentance of Nineveh, I just want to point out, and there's a number of things we could say here, I want to point out three characteristics of Nineveh's repentance. First of all, notice here that Nineveh's repentance is directed towards God. After Jonah proclaims God's message, we read in verse 5, And the people of Nineveh believed... God. It's worth noting that 
The author here does not say that the people of Nineveh believed Jonah, although that's true, they did believe Jonah. But in believing Jonah, they ultimately believed God, and they responded to God. And what follows here in them believing God, what follows is their dealings with, their interactions with God. They declare this fast. They start seeking God in prayer. They start crying out mightily to God for mercy. And what we see here is at the end of the day, repentance is about turning from our sin and turning to God. It's not about putting on a good face. It's not about meeting the expectations of others. It's not about fitting into what we would perceive as the quote-unquote good crowd. Repentance leads us directly to God. And in repentance, it must be God that we are first and finally concerned with. Jack Miller, in a book that he wrote entitled Repentance, he talks about how he and his wife over the years would invite people into their home who were hurting or going through a difficult time, and they would minister to them, and they would try to help these folks. And They speak, though, of the importance of the fact that as you minister and as you try to help people who are hurting and distressed and going through a difficult time, the importance of finally pointing those individuals to God. He writes, quote, The only place you get grace is from Christ. To make this point very strong, more than once in our home, we have taken young people by the hand and placed them alone in a room with a Bible and the admonition, don't use me as your priest, go to Christ alone, end of quote. My friends, that's helpful because there may be some here this morning and as you're wrestling with the Christian faith and you're wrestling with different things that are going on in your life, maybe in some sense... You have this desire to please other people around you, maybe to get your mom off your back, or maybe to please your parents, or maybe to fit in with a certain group of people. But understand, my friends, repentance is not finally about pleasing others, not in the least. Repentance is about having dealings with God. You must go to God. Pastors and Christian friends can all play their role. Community is important in terms of helping you and assisting you and encouraging you towards God. But at the end of the day, we must go to God with our repentance. Secondly, we notice that Nineveh's repentance is marked by humility. You see this in verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne. Don't just breeze over that. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Here we see that the great king of Nineveh, who rules over the great Assyrian empire, steps down off his throne. He comes down from his throne. He removes his robes of royalty so that he might bow his knee to another king the king of all kings and the king of all kingdoms. My friends, repentance requires humility. Repentance, in repentance, we are essentially saying, I'm not in control, I yield myself to another. And when we repent, we are descending from our thrones, renouncing control over our lives so that we might submit ourselves to the true king. Notice third that Nineveh's repentance is specific. So, Um, We see this in verse 8. The king's command in verse 8, Let everyone 
So this, the, the king himself has received this, this message, and now he is issuing forth a decree to the city. And this is what he says in verse 8. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Now this is noteworthy because, as we've mentioned earlier in this series, Nineveh was known for its violence and brutality. Nineveh was a brutal, brutal city. And here we see that Nineveh did not simply respond to Jonah's message in generalities. Well, yeah, Jonah, I hear that, and I know I need to make more time for God in my life, but who doesn't? No. Rather, Nineveh was aware of specific sin in their lives that displeased God. And as they were aware of that specific sin, they renounced that specific sin, the sin of violence, the sin of injustice, and they sought God for forgiveness and were determined to be obedient to God in that area of their lives. And listen, my friends, if God calls you to repent, He calls you to repent in very specific areas of your life. He calls us to repent for specific sins, right? He calls us to repent for the sins of unforgiveness and bitterness. He calls us to repent for the sins of a quick temper and cutting words. He calls us to repent of the sins of self-righteousness and pride. He calls us to repent of the sins of greed and covetousness. He calls us to repent for the sins of a lack of love and concern for the poor and for the lost. Nineveh was not content with, well, you know, everybody can do better. But Nineveh was determined to confess their specific sins and commit themselves to obeying God in these areas of their lives. Listen, my friends, if you're here this morning and you're not sure if you're a follower of Christ or you're wrestling with the claims of Christ, understand this, a call to follow Jesus is a call to repentance. In Mark chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And if Jesus is calling you to repent, that means he's calling you to specific things in your, in your life, specific areas of your life that you're going to have to relinquish control to him. We see this in Acts, right? Even after Jesus is resurrected from the dead and he pours his spirit out upon his apostles and they begin to preach the gospel and Peter preaches the gospel in Acts chapter 2 and it says the people are cut to their hearts because they recognize that they've rebelled against God and they say, what must we do to be saved? And Peter says, repent. In Acts chapter 2 verse 38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then what we see in the book of Acts over and over again is that the the gospel is preached and people say, how can we respond? How can we receive this salvation? The apostles repeatedly say, repent and believe, repent and believe, repent and believe. Repentance is an acknowledgement that Christ is Lord and I am not. That I submit my will to His. And this is the means by which we receive God's salvation. We repent yielding our wills to God's will, and we believe and trust in God's mercy. One of the things that's so striking about Nineveh's repentance here is that this was not repentance that just happened on an individual level, but it was repentance that happened on such a large scale. It was corporate repentance. And it begs the question, as we think about what happened in Nineveh, it begs the question, what would it look like for a community to be marked by repentance? 
What would it look like for a church to be marked by repentance? For spouses to confess their sin to one another? For a husband or a wife to say to their spouse, I'm sorry, I haven't been making you a priority. I haven't been sacrificing for you and serving you the way I should. I'm going to change by God's grace. Parents confessing their sins to their children. Saying to their children, I was wrong when I lost my temper and I yelled at you. I'm sorry and I'm praying that God would give me more patience. Children confessing their sins to their parents. Mom, I'm sorry. I was wrong to disobey you. Will you please forgive me? Folks starting to get serious about sexual sin. Folks beginning to say, men and women, pornography is not okay. It dishonors God. It hurts my spouse. I'm going to confess my sin to other brothers or sisters in Christ that I can trust, and I'm going to get help to overcome this. A community of people coming before God and saying, God, we don't love the poor the way we should. We don't love the lost the way we should. God, give us a broken heart and a love for those who need you. Perhaps this is what it would look like for a community at a corporate level, at a large scale, for even a church to be marked by the blessing of repentance. And do you not see in each one of those examples that repentance is the way to life? Repentance is the way to life. Repentance at first is scary to us, right? We resist it because we're going to lose control. If repentance is not scary to you, you may not understand what we're talking about. Repentance is scary, but repentance is the way to life. Think about it. Marriage is restored, renewed, family strengthened, men and women walking in God's forgiveness and having deeper communion with Christ, a community of people who are marked by love and compassion and mercy and justice who are affecting the city and the nations for the gospel. Repentance is the way to life. And that's what Nineveh experienced. As the message of God's call to repentance came to them, they repented and they experienced God's salvation and life. That leads us third to the example of God. Repentance results in mercy. And we see this in verse 10. Look there and we read. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, let me just say here up front, okay, because there's, um, there's a tension here that we find in this verse and the rest of the testimony of Scripture. Let me just say up front that in one sense, God does not repent, okay? And let me explain what I mean by that. God knows the end from the beginning, He knows everything in between. And therefore, nothing takes God by surprise. It's not as though God purposes something and then He finds out some piece of information that He did not know or He reflects upon that and decides that He made a mistake and therefore He changes course. It's not the God of the Bible. We see this in a number of passages in Scripture. So like Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. God is not man that He should lie or a son of man, that he should change his mind? Has he said it, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Or 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29, 
and also the glory of Israel, which is a reference to God. The glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. So in one sense, God does not repent. God does not change. God purposes all things, and he fulfills his purposes. He never makes a mistake. Therefore, what does it mean? So we've got that one truth. And now we come to Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. And there's some other verses like this in Scripture as well. What does it mean when we read here, when God saw what they did, how they turned, or that could be translated repented, from their evil way, God relented, or that actually could be translated God repented, of the disaster that He said He would do to them, and He did not do it. So how do we put these two things together? God does not repent, and yet here it says God, in one sense, repented. He turned from what He was going to do. Well, this is the way I think these two things fit together. We could say that in the broad sense of what God had purposed and planned for Nineveh, nothing changed. But in the narrow sense, in terms of how He related to them as His plan unfolded, there was a change in terms of His disposition and how He related to them. So, In the broad sense, we can say God did exactly what He had determined to do. When He sent Jonah to be a missionary to Nineveh, God knew fully well that Jonah's message would be effective and that Nineveh would hear that message and they would repent. And this is, in fact, the reason why God sent Jonah. In fact, the message that God gave Jonah to proclaim was, we see it in our text, yet forty days in Nineveh shall not be overthrown. And this actually is the reason why Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh because he knew Jonah had suspected that although this was the message that God had given him, that the city would be overthrown, that God had other intentions in mind and that God would use that message as a means to bring repentance and Nineveh would be saved. We'll see that next week in chapter 4. Jonah didn't want them to be saved. He wanted them to experience God's judgment, not His mercy. So Jonah had this sense that even though God is telling me to proclaim judgment, I have a sneaky suspicion, knowing the God of the Bible, knowing this God of mercy, that He's going to grant them repentance. Jonah knew that God had a greater purpose and plan in mind. But in a narrow sense, in terms of how this plan unfolds, God's disposition towards the Ninevites did change. The way in which he related to them as his plan unfolded did change as they responded to Jonah's message of repentance. Prior to their repentance, God's disposition towards them was one of righteous indignation, and he related to them as a judge. But given their repentance, no longer would he respond to them with righteous indignation, but now he was full of compassion and mercy towards them. No longer would he relate to them as a judge, but now he would relate to them as a merciful father. His disposition, his relational interaction with them changed as a result of the repentance that they issued forth. Now, here's one of the reasons why it's important for us to see this. Because God, and we see it here exampled in Jonah chapter 3 verse 10, but God, and we see this throughout Scripture, God has promised to relent, to turn, to show compassion to all who will repent. There's a number of places where this is stated in Scripture, but in particular we see in Jeremiah chapter 18 this principle laid out very clearly. In Jeremiah chapter 18 verses 7 and 8, 
We see the Lord speaking there, and he says, If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And my friends, this is our hope as we are on this mission and as we are proclaiming this message of salvation, we can say with confidence, if you repent, God will relent. God will show compassion and mercy. This is the promise of the gospel. That our sin results in death and destruction, but if we repent trusting that Christ paid the penalty for our sin at the cross and submitting to Christ as Lord, then God will relent and show compassion. He will cancel, cancel our debt of sin. He will receive us as, our, as His own. He will grant us a place in His eternal kingdom. And we should, we should have an expectant, hopeful attitude when it comes to this principle of God's willingness to show compassion and mercy. For those who might have a love for the lost, a love for the broken, you might say, even in this situation with the Ninevites, if, if, if God is calling you to them and you have a brokenness, you have a compassion for them, you might have a sense of why in the world would we go to the Ninevites? How in the world could we even conceive of the fact of them repenting? And even if we were to go and they were to repent, some might think, would God really show mercy? I mean, given that they are despised, debauched, violent, and cruel pagans? You see, you could look at a situation like this and be utterly hopeless, but what we see in the book of Jonah is that Nineveh, by God's grace, did repent, and God, in His mercy, relented and showed them compassion. You see, humanly speaking, God's mission does not always make sense. Humanly speaking, it might seem that God's mission is hopeless. There's no way... There's no way that we could experience God's redemption given these particular circumstances and the wickedness of these people. But when we reject God's mission, we miss out on the blessing and the joy of seeing and experiencing God's miraculous work of grace. This is the mission that God has called us to, to proclaim His message of repentance to our city, to proclaim it to the nations, with the promise that all who repent, towards them God will relent and show mercy and compassion. So those are the three examples. Jonah repents and it leads to mission. Nineveh repents and it leads to salvation. God repents and it leads to mercy. Now last week we were in Jonah chapter 2 and we considered there the miracle of Jonah being swallowed by this great fish and being in the belly of the fish three days and three nights and God in his mercy then vomiting Jonah out on dry land. And this is really what Jonah is known for, right? This great miracle of how was this man in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights and vomited out and he lived through it all and God showed his mercy to him in it all. You know, some have pointed out, and I think rightly so, that as you look at the book of Jonah, really the great miracle is not so much in Jonah chapter 2 as it is in Jonah chapter 3. That this is even a greater miracle. That at the preaching of a single reluctant prophet from a distant land, the most powerful city in the world is brought to its knees before God in repentance and worship. 
We ask ourselves the question, how did this happen? And of course, it was a work, it was a move of the Spirit of God, but some have speculated as well that perhaps the Ninevites were more inclined to respond to Jonah's message of repentance because they knew something of what had happened to Jonah in Jonah chapter 2. They knew something of this miraculous salvation that he had experienced. It's possible that Jonah's skin would have been bleached white from the gastric juices of the whale. So that when he arrived in Nineveh, just by his physical appearance, it would have demanded some explanation. It's also possible that as Jonah would have explained to them what happened in the belly of the fish and how he had been delivered and saved, and there was even physical evidence of this, that the Ninevites would have been more open to responding to this message of repentance. You know, in the Gospels, though, we encounter another prophet who preached repentance, Jesus. And Jesus draws comparison between himself and Jonah. He does this in Matthew chapter 12. And as he draws comparisons between himself and Jonah, there are certain things that are similar and there are certain things that are different. So Jonah nearly died in the belly of the fish because of his own sin. But Jesus would actually die and be laid in the belly of the earth, not for his own sins because he was blameless, but for the sins of others. And Jonah emerged from a near-death experience proclaiming salvation. But Jesus actually died, died, was placed in a grave, and then emerged alive, offering us eternal life. And as Jesus contrasts and compares himself, a prophet of repentance, with Jonah, who is a prophet of repentance, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 41, Jesus says, The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. In other words, Jesus is saying, if the Ninevites believed at the preaching of Jonah, How much more are we responsible and how much more should we believe in the greater prophet Jesus, in the greater miracle of His death and resurrection, and in the greater salvation that He offers? This is the message of Jesus. Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. How will you respond to that message? It is an invitation to life. Turn from the way of death and turn to me and I will give you life. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this message, this call to repentance. And Lord, we confess that when we hear the message of repentance, the call of repentance, our natural inclination is to resist it, to reject it. We don't like it because we want to be king. We want to be Lord. We want to rule over our own lives. We want to sit on our throne. God, I pray that in Your mercy and grace, You would see how foolish it is to think that we can rule our lives. What a joke it is to think 
that we can sit on the throne of our lives and rule and reign over our lives and that it will end good. And Father, I pray that the call to repentance, the call to life would in fact be sweet to us. I pray that by Your Spirit You would persuade every one of us this morning, even as You did the Ninevites centuries and centuries ago, that the call to repentance is sweet. Lord, I pray that each one of us would descend our thrones and that we would yield to You as Lord. And Father, I know that by Your Spirit You are able to work now in each mind and in each heart, pointing out those areas where there needs to be clear repentance and acknowledgement of Your Lordship. Lord, do that among us by Your grace. As we repent, may we receive Your forgiveness and Your mercy and Your grace, and may we walk in it. Father, do this now for some for the first time. Maybe it will be the first time today that one truly repents and looks to Christ in faith. Do that, Lord, by Your grace. For others, Lord, of us who are believers, who are trusting in Christ, Lord, I pray that we would be marked by repentance. I pray that our church would be a community of faith who are marked by repentance, humble acknowledgement of sin and looking and trusting to Christ in faith. And Lord, as we do that, send us out on mission. Make us more and more effective for your glory. Lord, we thank you for this call to align our lives with yours, with you, and to experience all that you have for us. May we respond now in repentance and faith. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.